Today is the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ, often referred to by its Latin name, Corpus Christi. This is a huge celebration in certain parts of the world. For example, when I was in Guatemala two summers ago, there were large, festive Eucharistic processions through the streets every weekend for more than a month. But today's reading are not just talking about how Christ becomes present in the elements of the bread and wine during the Eucharistic prayer at Mass. Our second reading today is the oldest recorded mention of the Eucharist in the Bible. But St. Paul is recalling Jesus' actions at the Last Supper in order to condemn the Corinthians for not treating one another equally. Now, we'll only hear, as part of the reading, the central part of what Paul is talking about, I would like to take a moment to share the paragraph before what Pat is going to read and the paragraph after that. You see, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the fact that they're not treating one another equally. There are rich people and poor people in this first Christian community in Corinth, and they would gather for a meal before their Eucharist, but only the rich people were invited in and the poor people were told to wait outside. This is what Paul writes. In giving this instruction, I do not praise the fact that your meetings are doing more harm than good. First of all, I hear that when you meet as a church, there are divisions among you, and to a degree I believe it. There have to be factions among you in order that those who are approved among you may become known. When you meet in one place, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own supper, and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. Do you not have houses in which you can eat and drink? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and make those who have nothing feel ashamed? What can I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this matter, I do not praise you. And then we will hear the portion that Pat will read of recalling Jesus' actions at the Last Supper. Then Paul continues, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. So in other words, Paul is saying that one cannot just think of the body and blood as these Eucharistic elements. That one is dishonoring the body and blood of Christ, by dishonoring the body of Christ present in the other people in the Christian community of Corinth. He says, A person should examine himself, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Jesus preached a gospel of love, a gospel of promise, a gospel of hope. He received the people who came to him and healed those who needed to be cured. No wonder the crowd followed him. And if there were 5,000 men in this crowd, presumably many of them were accompanied by their wives. And probably most of the couples had multiple children. So I'm guessing there were over 20,000 people in this crowd, about the number of undergraduate students there are at UT. I can't imagine that Bethsaida and the surrounding villages could provide adequate food and lodging for 20,000 extra people on short notice. 
I seriously doubt that the apostles had brought along enough cash to buy enough food for everyone either. So what exactly did the apostles mean when they suggested that they dismissed the crowd? And what did it mean when Jesus asked the disciples to provide for them out of their own need? Other versions of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels say that Jesus wanted to test the apostles. Well, if it was a test, it was a no-brainer. The obvious choice was to make do with the little they had because every person there was worthy of care and concern. That's what Eucharist is about, isn't it? It's about worthiness. It's about thanksgiving. It's about gift. Abram gave 10% of his possessions in thanksgiving to God. Paul chastised the Corinthians for not recognizing the body of Christ in every person in their community. Everything we have is a gift from God. Everyone we know is a gift from God. We are gift to one another. We have heard so many heartwarming miracles of people providing for one another when it seemed as if there wasn't enough to go around. Think of Hanukkah, the story of the oil lasting eight days when it seemed like there wasn't enough for one. Think of the Jode family in the movie or the novel, The Grapes of Wrath, who had so little as they left Oklahoma and headed to California, but they always gave and shared with the people around them. From the time of Abram nearly 4,000 years ago, God has provided for us. What makes us think that God won't provide for us in the future? Well, because we're nervous. Because we only want to trust God when there are no other options. Jesus taught us to pray for our bread daily. I don't know about you, but I prefer to ask God once and have God give me a lifetime of bread up front. Corpus Christi may be a day to urge people to receive the Blessed Sacrament at Mass on a regular basis. But I couldn't do that yesterday when I celebrated Mass with some of the men in the Knox County Detention Center. These men will probably be imprisoned for 20 years to life. And if they're sentenced to jails in Tennessee, it's unlikely that they'll have the opportunity to receive the Eucharist. How could I preach about the centrality of receiving communion to people who may never receive it again in this lifetime? In the months since Charlie and Jerry Mulligan began their maximum security prison ministry, some amazing things have happened. One of the original inmates who came to the Bible study has been sentenced, but he continues to correspond with the guys who are left behind at the detention center gathering each week for Bible study. And these guys, who spend 23 hours a day in isolation, spend a lot of time in prayer. Many of them have read the catechism from cover to cover, and they are resolved to reform their lives, to try to reconcile with family and friends. Even though these guys have only received the Blessed Sacrament twice since coming to prison, they have definitely grown in their sense of communion with one another. We spent time yesterday praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and I urged them to think about how they are united with the Universal Church 
And not only with everyone in the world who is participating in this amazingly unique moment in history, at this hour, we have, for the first time ever, Catholics gathered in every cathedral of the world, 5 p.m. Rome time, late at night in Oceania, and evening in Vietnam, afternoon in Nigeria, here at 11 a.m. on the East Coast and in Brazil, 8 a.m. in California, and before dawn in Hawaii and the Aleutian Islands, gathered in Eucharistic adoration, as Pope Francis has asked us to do. But I ask those men not to be just united with them, but to think of themselves being united with the billions of Christians through the centuries who have received the Eucharist. One of the first names that the early Christians gave to their Sunday gatherings was called the Action. We call it the Mass today. But the early Christians saw the highlight of their gathering as two of the times that they responded with the word Amen. The first was at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, and the second was when they received communion. So the action of the Mass was affirming everything that they had prayed in the Eucharistic prayer. And remember, we are praying that prayer together. I may be the only one saying the words, but we are praying it together. So today, I hope you'll sing the great Amen, you know, the part that comes right after the through him and with him and in him forever and ever part. Sing that with gusto. And even if you can't sing, be sure to make some other kind of noise to join in with the billions who have come before us, the billions who will come after us, as well as the angels, the archangels, and the entire heavenly host. When you come forward for communion today, don't just mumble, Amen. Affirm with your whole body, mind, and spirit that you are rehearsing for the great banquet in heaven when all people will truly be treated as brothers and sisters. Through a miracle, God provided the daily bread for the 20,000 people gathered at Bethsaida from the little that the apostles had. Paul chastised the well-off Corinthians who wouldn't share what they had with their poorer companions. As we continue to debate our responsibilities to care for one another in this country, I imagine that Jesus would have some pretty harsh things to say about our budget debates. One in 20 people in the United States, the land of plenty, relied on a food pantry at least once in the past year. Nearly 15% of Americans live in households that are called food insecure. 1.3 billion people around the world live on less than $1.25 a day, and billions more are malnourished. How can we in this room, among the wealthiest people in the world, not share our God-given gifts? Even those of you in this room who I see who are struggling with college debt or paying for your children's weddings recently, you are still among the 1% most wealthiest people in the world. The very famous priest, James Martin, you see him everywhere these days on the Colbert Report, and he's written books and done a lot of other things. 
He wrote a satirical piece a few months ago that gives an alternate version of what Jesus could have said to the disciples in Bethsaida. I'd like to share it with you. Please remember that satire is not necessarily funny. Satire is used to expose our stupidity. Jesus said to his disciples, you know what, you're right. Don't waste your time and shekels. It would be positively immoral for you to give away your hard-earned salaries for these people. They knew full well that they were coming to a deserted place and should have relied on themselves to bring more food. As far as I'm concerned, it's every 5,000 men for themselves. Better that their stomachs are empty than they become overly dependent on someone in authority to provide loaves and fishes for them. Where will it end? Will I have to feed them every day? It is written, there is no such thing as a free lunch. So taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and took one loaf and one fish for himself and gave the rest to the twelve based on their previously agreed upon per diem. But he gave none to the very poorly prepared crowd because they needed to be taught a lesson. So Jesus ate and was filled. The disciples, somewhat less so. What was left over was gathered up and saved for Jesus' next meal, should he grow hungry. The very poorly prepared crowd soon dispersed. All of us in this room have been blessed beyond imagining. As members of the most holy body and blood of Christ, let us be gifts to those who hunger. May the Holy Spirit compel us to be Christ to one another until all people are satisfied.